You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, hello, and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm uncorking the story of Christina Sweeney Baird about her debut novel, The End of Men. The central question of this book is, what would our world truly look like without men? And I find that kind of disturbing, <laughs> but I also find it kind of fascinating. I think it is a, um, a really interesting premise. Um, there is a deadly virus on the loose that only kills guys. Mm. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know, but it's a good read. It's actually a very good read. It's got a lot of advanced praise and it's available wherever books are sold starting April 27th. So you could go uh, to your local mom and pop bookshop, hopefully, and uh, and pick that up on April 27th. If you have to order it online, of course, you can order it at Amazon as well as bookshop.org. Uh, when you do things, uh, when you order things at bookshop.org, uh, they kick back a little money to your local, local bookstores. But um, that's enough about that. I'll play that interview in a moment. But uh, speaking of viruses, speaking of viruses, um, I got my second Pfizer shot last week. And I'm going to celebrate by flying down to Florida to spend some time with uh, my mom and dad. They're both in their late 80s. And, uh, and, you know, like many people, you know, not being able to spend time with loved ones has been one of the hardest things about the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, during that time, uh, last uh, last September, uh, September, October time frame, my father got very, very sick with a blood infection. And um, you know, he's my mother's primary caretaker. Like their roles have totally, totally changed. She always took care of him, you know, a, a dutiful wife um, in, uh, you know, uh, took care of him and all, all of his needs, all of our needs as as kids. Um, but now uh, tables have turned. He's uh, he's taking care of her. She's got some short term memory issues. Um, you know, it's it's actually very sad. But uh, when he was out of commission, he was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, I felt totally helpless. I, I could not fly down to help out. My wife is uh, high risk for for COVID-19. And frankly, I was I was scared to to bring something back to her but also scared to bring something down to them. Uh, thankfully, though, my uh, twin brother, Jimmy, and my sister, Mia, really stepped up. And actually, my nephew, Tom, uh, my, my brother, Jimmy's son, uh, really stepped up to um, to help out. And uh, and I, I'm very grateful for them. Um, but it's, you know, it's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling to want to help and not be able to help. And I know I'm not alone in that. Um but I am excited. I'm excited to go down on Monday, flying out of Westchester Airport. Good rates on JetBlue. Um, 
And uh, I'm sure I'm going to spend most of that first day fixing some kind of tech issue, right? I mean, I know that there's there's something wrong with the computer or Netflix isn't working on one of the TVs or I have to do the tutorial on how to log into uh, Amazon Prime again. But uh, that'll be fine. That'll be fine. I'm actually gonna also going to go into the refrigerator and uh, and probably do some some cleaning out cleaning out there. Expired. 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 Thanks, Aunt Bonnie. God, I love those Geico commercials. I mean, they, they have a couple of stinkers every now and then, but man, <laughs> they're ad agency. Yeah, they say advertising is dead. No way. That um, you know, those commercials are great. Um, so uh, let's see. Another news. Uh, since I'm fully vaccinated, I can get back to the stand-up circuit again. Very excited to rejoin my friends in the uh, Connecticut comedy scene. And I think, you know, we all need a laugh right now. You know, who doesn't need a laugh? So it'll be a good, good thing to, um, to get out there and, and, and start trying to make people laugh anyway. Anyway, that's enough of an intro for me. I'm actually running out to meet a client for lunch, which is something I haven't done in 14 months. So if you will sit back, relax and enjoy my conversation with litigator turned author, Christina Sweeney Baird. So I live in London in the UK, as you can probably also tell from my uh, from my accent. And um, I'm 28 and I work as a corporate litigation lawyer alongside writing quite a lot. <laughs> so I do feel like quite, quite a busy person um, at times. But yeah, I really, I adore writing and I'm very excited to be kind of, I feel like with writing it, it always, there's such a delay to the process, you know, so it feels very, very exciting to kind of finally be talking about this book that I've been writing for quite a long time. And it is obviously not to use the cliche, but it is a dream come true. Um, so yeah, lawyer, author, person who lives in London and quite likes lipstick and going out for drinks with their friends is probably so when, decent. <laughs> when you were, when you were younger, when you were a kid, did, did you want to be a lawyer? Is, was that your dream? Did you want to be a writer? What did you want to be? Um, I always felt like it would be quite odd if I was like, yeah, I was five years old and just dreamed of being a lawyer. Um, so I, I definitely dreamed more of being an author, but my parents are both lawyers. So I did, I kind of grew up, my mum's um, a, a lawyer and my dad is, is a sister. So I definitely grew up in a house where like it was talked about all the time. And I really enjoy, I really enjoy law. Like I find it very interesting, um, but I love books. I always did. I journaled from a really young age. I've got a whole shelf of journals from the age of eight to now. So I definitely kind of always liked words and using words in some way. Um, always read all the time and kind of just built up, I think in terms of writing, I wasn't sitting there as a five-year-old going, I want to be an author, but quite gradually over the course of being a child and kind of in my teens was going, I think that this is something that I want to do and kind of practicing secretly. Um, and I always think with writing, it is something that it tends to just build up over a long period of time until you're actually, you know, writing a novel as an adult. What do you think drew you to writing? Um, and not necessarily as a profession just yet, but but as, as an interest, as a hobby. What was it about writing that you you found satisfaction in? I think it's a combination of things. I like processing things through words. And I think that's quite common for, you know, for anyone who, who likes writing, you know, that idea of kind of, an artist might, you know, use his images or color or whatever when lines and, you know, the people have different ways of expressing themselves. And for me, I'm very comfortable with words. So I think that was partly it. And then I think there's also, as you read, as you get older and you kind of keep reading and discovering new books, 
though I think it's for me there was a kind of flipping point when I was 13 where I started reading going hang on I actually want to write things as well I want to create my own stories as well as just reading these books that I love and that make me feel kind of joy and make me laugh and make me cry so I think it was a combination of enjoying words and then also just suddenly going well I've got ideas actually as well and I want to write them down I want to try and try and do this myself do you remember and are you brave enough to share any of what those some of those early ideas were when you were 13 years old so I'm trying to think. Um, <laughs> so I did actually write a full historical romance novel, which is definitely a plot twist. If you know that my, first, <laughs> my debut novel is called The End of Men and yeah. it's speculative fiction. So <laughs> but I've got range. Um, and I really, I'm a huge fan of Julia Quinn. She's like one of my longtime favorite authors. She's very, very funny. And she's obviously very famous now for writing Bridgerton. But that was actually a big thing for me. And I think with, I always say to people who are trying to become writers and maybe aren't sure what genre to start in, that starting with genre fiction that you're very comfortable with is quite a good idea, whether that's crime or thriller or romance, because there's kind of a structure to it. You know, so with a romance novel, for some reason, these two people cannot be together. And from A, them not being together, we need to get to B, them being together and happy. So if you're starting and trying to write your first novel, as I did, it's actually quite nice to have that structure. It gives you kind of a boundary to work within. Um, so I did write a full historical romance novel. I wrote the beginnings of quite a few historical romance novels. And that was actually kind of how I learned, yeah, learned to write a novel. Okay. And then I flipped a little bit to <laughs> speculative fiction. What did you do? With, what did you do with those? Did you try and publish those or did you just keep this for yourself? I actually did try and publish the first one. I, there really wasn't very much of a gap between, well, I say that the first first full novel that I, that I actually finished, I had written, as I think a lot of people do, through my teens and my early 20s. I had the kind of beginning, the first few chapters of a lot of novels, but the first novel I actually finished, I wrote from the age of 22 to 24. And it was complete. And I thought, oh, maybe this is decent. It felt silly to not query it when I'd done the work to finish it but I was already working on End of Men, like I'd already had the idea of End of Men. So I actually queried it to maybe only six or seven agents and obviously didn't get an agent. I'm glad it didn't because it's all worked out. But I had a few very positive responses, which it, I think only writers will know that oddly getting a rejection, if it's a positive rejection, can be very, very encouraging. And I had a few people who went, I'm not going to sign this, but I think, you're, I think you can write. I think this is good. I think this is interesting. And that was actually very encouraging at the time. Yeah, kind of, kind of the difference between getting a no with some feedback versus getting a no from a form letter. Exactly. You know, the, and, and knowing the numbers that of people, you know, that the numbers of submissions that agents get, for example, if you if you do, I think, get a response that goes, hey, by the way, you are a good writer and I'm not going to take this on or I want to see the full manuscript, but I'm not going to sign it. I think you should change these things. Yeah. You, you know, if anyone is getting that, you should take that as a very good sign because, you know, numbers wise, they just don't have time to actually provide that to that many people. Right. So so now you're you're working as a lawyer. You start you said you had the idea for the end of men. Um, sounds like when you were in your mid mid twenties. Yeah, so I'm so I'm twenty. I just turned twenty eight, and I had the idea for end of men in kind of early twenty. Oh my goodness, twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty eighteen. So I was twenty five, um, and I thought about it. I like, very quickly knew that was a good idea. Like on that very simple question of, does that book exist? No. I want to read that book. Mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> I should write that book. So I had the idea. And immediately went, I'm going to write that, but was was very determined to finish a novel. I was very worried 
worried about constantly jumping between ideas. And I think I can't remember, I think it's a Julia Quinn quote, but I'm always conscious because I think I might be misappropriating this. But I think she said, finish the damn book. There's too many first chapters in the world. And I really took that to heart. I thought I cannot just keep not finishing books. So I had the idea and thought, right, I'm going to finish this first novel, the historical romance, and then start working on End of Men. So it kind of bubbled away in my brain for about six months, which I actually think was really helpful. Kind of just having that time to to think about it, think about ideas. And it meant that when I started writing, actually quite a lot of that thoughtful, imaginative work had been done. Did did you work from an outline for The End of Men or did you just have the premise in your head and, and kind of went, kind of, I don't want to say made it up as you go along, that's trivializing it, but did, did you have an outline at all for it? I kind of didn't, I didn't. I didn't have a proper plan. And I have to say that I'm, I've tried plans and I find that that they just don't really work for me that well. It just tends to mean that I end up writing a book that shouldn't really be the book that it is, and then it has to be rewritten. But what in the in the first draft, which was quite different, the draft that got me signed with an agent, which is quite different from the book as it is now, um, what I had done was that the first kind of opening chapter was essentially a prologue, and it was um, basically kind of in the, in the style of like a UN report saying, you know, this is what this book is and this is the story of the play so in an odd way it kind of spoiled to be clear that the final the version of that is being published does not do that but it kind of spoiled what the whole book was going to be which was not very good from a reader's perspective but from a writer's perspective was really useful so that first like four thousand words i wrote was actually a very helpful crystallization of what the story of the plague is over the course of those six years. Um, and actually that ended up being in many ways the kind of North Star that I used as, as a plan, essentially. Yeah. How did you find writing it while you are writing it and, and going through the, the publishing process, you know, seeking the agent while you're also maintaining a career as a lawyer? At times I'm very tired, <laughs> but I think, um, I think it's, you know, well, on, on a practical level, I just think that's how most people are doing it. You know, it's a very rare person who is realistically going to commit full time to writing before you have any idea of if you're good at it, if you're going to be able to monetize it. You know, I, I, I don't know anyone who has written a book without working at the same time, I have yeah. to say. So I think on a practical level, it's just kind of what you have to do. But I actually think it's quite helpful. I, I, I can't imagine right now, at least in my life, you know, sitting down and every day having total reliance on what I'm writing and I have an agent and I am being published. I cannot even imagine sitting there every day, you know, at my laptop before having an agent, having all of that pressure on one book. I think that would be just too much. Um, and I'm, I'm very much a night owl. I think that's very helpful. Everyone has different ways of doing things. I have a friend who has written several novels and everything has been done in the morning. So you just have to find a way that works for you. But for me, you know, evenings, nighttime, weekends is actually a really productive time for me. Um, and the two things, I think they kind of benefit each other. You know, if you have a bad day at work, it's kind of nice to be like, well, I've got this other thing to do tonight and I did well and I wrote 2000 words and vice versa. If editing is a nightmare, you kind of go, well, I can go to work tomorrow and think about something else. <laughs> right. So I'm curious as to how this idea came to you, because I think the idea is fascinating. And when I was reading, um, when I was reading about it, the first and and take this as a compliment. Um, but but I the first thing I thought of was the stand by Stephen King because you know it starts off with um, sort of a plague. I mean, obviously the, in the stand, not all the men die. But um, I'm curious as to how this idea came to you and and who kind of your who your influencers uh, were. 
So I read World War Z by Max Brooks yeah. when I think I pro- I think I've got the movie tie-in version. So I think it was around 2013 maybe that I read it, and that had a huge influence. I still so clearly remember reading it, staying up all night, couldn't put it down. And a big thing about that book for me, for anyone who hasn't read it, it follows kind of a zombie war, and it has this multiple voice style. So it's kind of a UN report, and it follows a really broad like range of perspectives. And I loved that, and you can see the influence of that in the End of Men, and I wanted to really show what this looks like in different countries and for different people. Um, And so that had a really big impact. And I didn't actually read a huge amount of spectre fiction or sci-fi back then. So the fact that I kind of read it at all, I think had an impact. And then I read The Power by Neil Alderman in early 2018. And that blew my mind. I think the fact that she used spectre fiction as a way to explore gender and how men and women interact in society was so influential. My brain kind of merged, I think, those two ideas of plague, how it, you know, kind of changes the world in this way that you look at through broad perspectives and then also having it affect men and women differently. Um, so those were, those were two huge influences. And then I also read Station Eleven by uh, Mr. John Mandel, which is one of my favourite novels now, when I was rewriting the book for my agent in autumn 2019. And that book, I think, is what it does brilliantly is it really combines spectre fiction, incredibly interesting what-if question, basically, you know, a virus has killed like 99.9% of the population with really emotionally engaging characters. And it was very important to me that End of Men was both interesting speculatively, but also that it, you know, it made you laugh, it made you cry, and that you connected with characters properly. And I think those three books are the, the touchstones for me, at least, in terms of inspiration. So that that's the inspiration for, but then there's the the whole business of of getting it published, and it, I mean it, you did find an agent. Um, how was the querying process for you on, you know, for for that manuscript at the time when it was a manuscript? Um, was it quick? Um, you know, did, did you query a lot of agents? I'm curious as to how how that went down. I have to say I was really fortunate. It was quick, and I think I from the point of querying, I knew that I was onto something because it just went very quickly. I did query a lot of agents. Um, I'm quite an organized person. I made a spreadsheet of basically every literary agency in the UK, which was about 36. And then I chose my favorite agent from each of those and, you know, did all the details of like authors that they liked, for example, and then divided them up into two categories. And category A was my first choice agents and that's 20. And I submitted queries to all of those agents and what I would have done and this is what I actually advise people to do is that had I gotten 20 no's I would have then paid a professional editing service to look at the manuscript and then rewritten it and submitted to those other 16 so there, there was method to madness but I was very lucky I got in the end four full manuscript sorry I got seven full manuscript requests and four offers and it just went quite speedily um so I, I was I was very fortunate that I, I had full manuscript requests kind of within I think two days and had an offer within about a week. And then it just kind of, a lot of agents want you to tell them once they have, you know, once you've had an offer from someone else. So that it becomes this kind of virtuous circle where once you start getting offers, it tends to speed the whole thing up. And I signed with my dream agent, Felicity Blunt Curtis Brown. So I was very much a kind of dream process, but having gone through it before with a different book where I didn't get an agent, I do feel like I have some perspective of how it can be, you know, not, not quite like that all the time. Sure, sure. And so then working with the agent, you mentioned you had to rewrite it for the agent based on the agent's comments. What? How did you take initially the notes that you were getting from them? Were you um, open to them, defensive to them? I, just, I'm sure my, my listeners want to know kind of what that what that process is like. I was honestly very open to comments, and that's partly because I know that identifying problems with manuscripts is not a strength of mine. So I'm very good at turning comments, 
but I'm, I'm not, so I'm a terrible beta reader. I, I do not advertise my services to anyone as a beta reader because I find it very difficult to identify structural issues. I, I just, it's just not a strength of mine. So I kind of knew that I had done as much as I could with this manuscript, but the one that I queried with really wasn't that far off the first draft. So I kind of, you know, when, when my agent said, look, this is what I like, and this is what I think we need to change. I went, that makes total sense. Um, and I have to say she has perfect taste and the book is so much better for input and that, you know, we're obviously working, we've worked on other things since, and I just trust her entirely. So I think maybe it would be different if you felt like you were a very, very good editor and you felt like you'd edited your own work, but there just has to be a level of objectivity. I just don't think that you as a person can ever, no matter how good you are, get the work to be as good as it can be on your own. Um, so yeah, I was very open to it, but partly because editing is not my forte. Yeah. I, I think, you know, for, for any writer, you have to have a little bit of ego because you're, you're basically saying to the world, I've got something to say and you, you should listen to it. You should read it. You should enjoy it. But you also have to have that humility to say, I don't know everything and I do need some help. I do need, you know, another perspective. Um, and, and I, I, I agree. I mean, oftentimes if, um, if you go into it with the right mindset, your, your work can become stronger for, you know, the critical feedback of, of other people. For sure. And I mean, that's the goal, isn't it? The goal has to be, I want the work to be as good as it can be. Cause why do all that work to write, you know, I think it was 87,000 words was the, the manuscript that I got signed with and End of Men is now about 108,000 words. Wow. Why do all work to write a novel, you know, to then not let it become the best possible version it can be? Um, and you can you can see that, the you, know, you, can see, you can see it getting like tighter and better wound almost. It's almost like a clock mechanism where as each, you know, because I, for example, when I went through editing with my editors themselves, my publishers, I have a UK, Canadian and US editor. So all three people kind of gave their input, which is again, really helpful to get this like multitude of perspectives. And you can just see the bits that they go, let's cut this out. I think it's going to be better without that. Or can we change this perspective? This bit's a bit flat. And it just gets better and better. So the goal has to be, how do we make the work better? Not, I need to hang on to this in the form that I imagined it to be. Yeah. Yeah. So let, let's talk about the story a little bit. So a, uh, I mean, the, the, the title is very descriptive, <laughs> uh, the end of men. Um, what, um, you know, how has, how has the, the sort of the notion of that been received so far? I mean, I know the book isn't out yet, but I know you've, you've got some early, very positive reviews out there. Um, let's talk about the notion of it. Um, you know, w would the world be better without us, without me? <laughs> well, I think, one of the things I found is that I've only had um, kind of positive feedback in terms of the actual concept, which is very nice. And I've not had anyone kind of accuse me of misandry, probably because when you read the book, it's so instantly clear, I think, that this is not at all a book that is saying that the world would actually be better without men. It's a book that explores what the world would look like if 90% of the world's men died. But from the get-go, you know, you have characters who are trying to keep their husbands and their sons and their friends and their brothers safe who are dealing with loss and bereavement. So it's not this kind of utopian idea of, haha, the men are dead. It's really an exploration of grief, loss, hope, resilience in this speculative, interesting package. So there have been a lot of male readers, some of whom have gone, 
I didn't know who was going to like this book, seeing as it's called The End of Man. And actually I've gone, oh, it's been a really pleasant surprise to read it and then find that it's actually a book that really is exploring gender dynamics, but is by no means saying that the world would be better without men. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that, that, um, I mean, it, it does sound fascinating. Um, I, I have to say have, have, have any, um, cause I get, I mean, just even the way you describe it, I, I could see an on-screen adaptation, you know, whether it's a, a mini series or, or a feature film and ha- has there been any interest there yet? Or is that not something you could talk about? There has. So the, the TV rights have sold, which is really exciting. I can't say to whom, yeah. because it's one of those things where basically the studio that buys the rights then makes its own announcement kind of when it's got things in the way that it wants to. Um, so yes, happily the rights have sold and I would obviously love to see it actually make its way from the very early stage of we've sold, you know, the option towards it actually being made. I think it would be, I, I think, I think I write in quite a visual way. I suppose I don't know how anyone else writes, but I tend to think of kind of these like visual scenes. Um, and that's a big thing for my agent and I is that she'll often kind of have an image that she thinks of and then I'll kind of help to write that up. So I do think it kind of lends itself relatively easily to to a TV show, but fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that's very exciting because I've talked to a lot of authors whose work has become feature films and um, they're, of course, excited by it. But the other side of it is, okay, well, well, the, the books are always different than let's say the movie. And in my opinion, um, the, the books are always better than, than whatever winds up on screen. How much input, um, do you think you might have when it comes to the, the teleplays or the screenplay adaptation? I just don't know at this stage, although I am yeah. formally a consultant. And when we went through the process of kind of talking to different, there were a number of different production companies that were interested. That was obviously something that came up and the company that, that we went with, basically said, well, you know, you're the person that came up with this world. So obviously we want to make sure that we have your input because it can only make it kind of richer and more interesting. Um, so I'd like to be as involved as I can be, but also kind of just TBD as to yeah, how yeah. involved I actually sure. will be. Sure, sure. Um, well, now, so it's you, you're kind of living a, a dream here. Um, you know, you, cause I'm thinking back to that, you know, 13 or so year old, you know, uh, <laughs> child who, who was thinking about writing and interested in writing. Um, and of course you go on to, to become a lawyer and, and you, you write your first, um, and then you write, uh, uh, the end of men and, and, and has some great success. What advice would you give your younger self? If you had to like whisper into the ear of that 13 year old girl, um, what would you tell her? What, how would you encourage her? What, what, what would you say? That's a very good question. Um, I think a few things. I think the first thing is that you will never regret hard work. I was always someone who worked really hard, knew how to work hard and kind of had that as a strength of mine. And it's something that I've just, I've never regretted. You know, I've never regretted working hard at school. I've never regretted working secretly for years and years away at novels. The work has always for me paid off. So I think keeping going with that and building a work ethic over the course of, you know, time that that ends up paying dividends down the road, definitely something I would tell myself to kind of keep leaning into. And I think keeping reading, you know, a lot of people I think are, are bookworms when they're children. And then there's this kind of dropping off that happens for a lot of teenagers where reading stops being as cool. And often people go, oh, I used to read a lot when I was a child, but they don't really read as a teenager or a young adult or indeed an adult. And I just never stopped. You know, I never, reading and books never stopped being something that felt quite essential to me to like function as a person. And uh, that one thing I could have anticipated was especially now with Instagram and TikTok and kind of social media that books are actually a really 
wonderful form of community for a lot of people, myself included. And I found that actually reading has become in some ways cool. So I would also say keep reading because it will not only continue to be a wonderful thing in my life and a, a great source of joy, it will help writing enormously. You can't be a writer if you don't read, but also that it will end up kind of coming 360 and becoming quite cool again. So yeah, keep reading both to perform me and also other people. Yeah. And, and then, you know, and it, the, the story is coming out at an, a very interesting time in, in the world. I mean, number one, it's a story about a, a, a plague or a virus and we're living in the time of a virus. Um, and I know that, you know, th- this story was hatched in your mind well before anyone heard the term COVID-19, but it, it's also coming at a time where people, you know, are forced to slow down a bit. You know, we're forced to, to stay indoors a bit more. Um, we're forced to sort of be a little bit more insulated that that could have a positive impact on on the number of people reading, I imagine. I hope so. I mean, certainly the numbers in the UK have been really interesting in terms of the 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 book the book sales have gone up, even though for significant periods of the last year, bookshops have been shut and indeed in the UK are still legally required to be closed. Um helpfully for, for me at least. <laughs> I think bookshops in the UK should be opening about two weeks before um the book comes out. But yeah, I think people have obviously had to in incredibly unfortunate circumstances recreate a world and a life for ourselves where we have just not been able to exist as we used to and travel freely and go where we want to go um and so the escape that books provide you know you can buy a novel and it's 300 pages of basically going somewhere else when you have to stay home that has been a really magical thing that i think a lot of people have rediscovered which which is a good thing in you know it's a, it's a silver lining of a really awful <laughs> awful time. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I could obviously never have foreseen that when I wrote this book, I started writing it in 2018. I finished writing it in 2019. It, I, it was unimaginable that, that we'd be sitting here in March, 2021 talking about a real life pandemic. And yeah. Yeah. And here we are. Here we are. So have you, have you made the most of your time during, during the pandemic? I mean, obviously you have a, a whole career in, in as a lawyer, but has this positively impacted you in terms of having time to write and, and being able to flush out some stories? So on the one hand, I have, I have written quite a lot. Um, I wrote two drafts of a YA novel that I'm going to do another draft of later this year. I kind of did that last year and I've been working on my next speculative fiction novel, which is now in its kind of second full draft. So I think over the course of the last year, I've written about 200,000 words and yet I have found it really difficult. I have just found that the kind of stultifying nature of being in the same place the whole time has been so difficult. I'm quite a sociable person. I love, you know, I work with really interesting, funny, clever people day to day. And it's just been really difficult working from home, being very busy, like my job has been busy, but you know, I'm sitting in my flat in London and just looking at the same four walls the whole time. So I have had time in that obviously I have been able to go out to restaurants or go traveling or whatever, but I, I definitely felt a real cost there to me, at least in terms of creativity. It's just very difficult to imagine other things and be interesting and write things that don't have bubbles of humor and thoughtfulness and insight into people when you are not able to really see people or engage with them. Yeah. I mean, I used to travel so much, um, to do what I do. And, um, I, I haven't been on a, you know, an airplane since March of last year. And, um, you know, I meet colorful people, you know, I, 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 I basically talk to people for a living and a lot of those interactions lead to ideas or stories or character traits or something. And just, it's not happening now. And it's, um, it does hurt the creative process. I, I, I would agree with you on that. 
Um, well, one question I have for you, because I have a, just such a good feeling about about this novel. Um, are you prepared? How prepared would you say you are for success? Like, let's say all, all overnight you become and, and nothing happens overnight. I don't want to minimize that. Um, but let's say you become the next big thing. How prepared do you think you are for, for the success you might have? Well, thank you, first of all. As a <laughs> soon-to-be debut, it's lovely when anyone has a good a good feeling about the book. Um, I think I'm pretty grounded in my life and my writing. So I would say that I am quite prepared insofar as I'm quite clear about what I like to do, why I'm doing it. And even, you know, in terms of having, for example, the next book, you know, it's not there yet, but I mean having, for example, a draft that I'm working on that will probably be pretty much done um, before the book comes out. I think that's very helpful. So I really hope End of End as well. I hope that it reaches readers, but it doesn't feel like it's the only thing in my life. You know, I'm already kind of thinking about the next book and I think that's really important. I think if it's too, I think if there's too much pressure on something, whether it does well or not, it just becomes overwhelming. Whereas End of End feels like an incredibly exciting thing that is, you know, a dream part of my career, but also that it's kind of one phase and I'm already thinking about the next thing. So I would like, hopefully this is not hubris, but I would like to think I'm quite well prepared. Very good. Very good. Well, uh, the book is, it, remind me, when, when does the book come on sale? It is out in the US and Canada on the 27th of April, and it's out in the UK on the 29th of April. Okay. And if people wanted to look up more information about you or to, or is, it, is, is it available for pre-order now or? It is indeed. And in fact, I think right now it is um, discounted on Barnes & Noble for $14.99. But yes, you can pre-order it now. And if you want more information about me, I'm quite active on Instagram. I talk about writing quite a lot. I like doing kind of writing tips. And it's just a really interesting way to connect with other readers and writers. And on Instagram, I'm just my full name. Um, I'm also on Twitter a fair amount as well, which is a nice way to kind of connect with people. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter. I, I, I have a love hate relationship with Twitter. <laughs> I'd love to connect with people. And then I sometimes hate to see all the comments, but, <laughs> but not, not, I mean, not, well, not for me, but just how people go into tangents about whatever it is, politics or health or, or issues. I think it's uh it can be kind of a nasty place at times. I do think that Instagram has a better sense of community in that way. I actually also like the fact that on Instagram, even though it might seem like it's a very image-based platform, the fact that you can do an unlimited caption, you know, means that I think you can actually talk in quite a detailed way about things. Like I did a post last week about rewriting. I kind of got my comments back from my agent, my editorial letter. And I was like, right, I'm going into this rewrite. And this is the process that I tend to use. And I had so many comments from people and DMs from people going, really interesting to hear that. Me too, that, you know, this is why I'm with my rewriting process. And so actually I think Instagram lends itself in some ways to better conversations, you know, whereas yeah, with, with Twitter, I mean, this is not a hot take. It's obviously quite a difficult medium in that you're restricted to these very short messages. And I think it becomes quite adversarial quite quickly, but I, I tend to find, I mean, I'm just talking about books basically. So I do tend to find that lots of people give lovely recommendations of books and I find that authors say interesting things and I enjoy that. Yeah. Very good. Well, you're a lawyer, you are a published author. Um, it sounds like you are an Instagram influencer at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know if someone with like the number of followers I have (laughs) 
it's an influence, like the most micro influence of the influences. Um, but I do, I will take basically any opportunity to talk about books because it's, it's very enjoyable. Well, very good. I wish you all the success with, uh, with the end of men. Uh, I know it will be successful and, uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to chatting with me. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. So I just stopped recording. Um, Thank you very much. I know this was uh, we, we kept this one to about a half hour, but I often find that if, if we go on much longer, it, it starts to get a little um, uh, tedious. And I, th- I thought this was kind of a good a good part to, to end at. So uh, and I'm sure you have a lot of other things you want to do with your evening. So <laughs> Friday evening in a pandemic. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, um, it's well, that was really interesting. Thank you. Some very thoughtful questions. Thank you. Do, do you have a lot of these lined up for uh, for a tour or? I have a few. So I think it's one of the things that's so in the UK, at least we are trying to figure out what we will be able to do. So I think it will be kind of hybrid of doing some things online and then doing hopefully some things in person because bookshops will be open. Um, whereas in the US, um, we're doing an online launch, which I'm really excited about. I think I'm going to be in conversation with, so I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but it will be a very cool speculative fiction author that I really enjoy hard work. So, um, yeah, should have a, a few of these kind of conversations lined up. Very good. Well, again, all the best. Uh, I wish you great success, as Borat would say. And (laughs) I hope you have a good weekend. Thanks so much. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that's my interview with Christina Sweeney Baird. As a reminder, her book, The End of Men, can be purchased wherever books are sold and will begin shipping on April 27th. To learn more about me and my books, please head over to MikeCarlin.com. That's Carlin with an O and not an I. Always. Um, I should really change the spelling of my last name. I think it would upset my dad, but uh, man, that O really does throw people off. Um, at MikeCarlin.com, you can get more information on the eight novels I've written, as well as catch up on past episodes of the Uncorking a Story podcast, which includes interviews with the likes of Tess Gerritsen, Matt Haig, and David Bell. So for all the hardworking men, women, and dogs here at Uncorking a Story in our studios based in Stanford, Connecticut, we, uh, this is Mike Carlin saying thanks for listening and until next time.